Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, September 27th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, a DoorDash data breach that has a bad new wrinkle. We might see the foldable Razor phone by the end of the year. How long can an alternative app store last before Apple shuts it down? The biggest Tesla software update yet. And of course, the weekend long reads suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. DoorDash has confirmed a data breach that occurred on May 4th of this year, affecting 4.9 million customers, workers, and even merchants on its platform. And I know this is another one of those topics where, again, it's like same old, same old, another data breach. Come on. But it's the severity of the data loss this time that's worth mentioning. Quote, users who joined the platform before April 5th, 2018, had their name, email, and delivery addresses, order history, phone numbers, and hashed and salted passwords stolen. The company also said customers had the last four digits of their payment cards taken, though full numbers and card verification values were not taken. Both delivery workers and merchants had the last four digits of their bank account numbers stolen. Around 100,000 delivery workers also had their driver's license information stolen in the breach, end quote. So if you're a customer, this should be not great, but all right, you know, change your passwords if you're a DoorDash customer. But driver's license data, that's some serious stuff to have out there in the open. So the real losers here are the Dashers themselves, the delivery workers. DoorDash blamed the breach on a third-party service provider. And again, any customers who joined DoorDash after April 5th, 2018, are not affected by the breach. As TechCrunch notes, it's not clear why it took almost five months for DoorDash to detect the breach. At the risk of being snarky, iOS... 13.1 might actually make Siri useful to me beyond just setting alarms. The latest beta version of Spotify's iOS app, which is designed to work with 13.1, will let users play songs, albums, and playlists invoking Siri. Quoting The Verge, The Spotify and Siri integration works well on Apple's AirPods, allowing you to say, Hey Siri, and request albums, playlists, or songs to play on Spotify service. One thing that doesn't work well is trying to play podcasts with Siri as Spotify attempts to search for music instead of dedicated podcasts. Spotify is currently testing this new functionality, and it will likely debut in the coming weeks in the main app. We got an early look at Spotify on the Apple Watch last year in beta, and the feature launched less than two weeks later. Spotify isn't commenting directly on its plans, end quote. The feature does not apparently currently work with Siri on Apple Watch, however, which seems like a weird omission that is probably likely to be fixed eventually. And hey, this goes quite a ways to giving Spotify parity with Apple Music on iOS. Something, something anti-competitive scrutiny. (laughs) 
Among other things, 2019 promised to be the year of the foldable phone. And while we know that has largely been a bust, maybe the foldables are just trying to finish the year strong. CNET is reporting that the Motorola Razor foldable might debut just under the wire of the year end. Quote, Motorola missed a targeted summer launch for its first foldable phone, but the company still plans to announce its device by the end of the year, a person close to the company told CNET. It's unclear when the device will hit store shelves, but the press and public at least will see the phone in 2019, making Motorola the latest handset maker to jump into the market for foldables, end quote. It's like the old jailbreak days, sort of. Alt Store is an alternative iOS app store that works without a jailbreak, using instead a developer feature for sideloading test apps. Which, cool, thought the days of alt apps and jailbreaking were over, but also, see if this floats your boat. This also might allow you to load a Nintendo emulator onto your iPhone, quoting The Verge. Riley Testit, an iOS developer who has for years worked on mobile video game emulation, just released a project that has the potential to shake up the entire iOS ecosystem. He calls it Alt Store, and it's an alternative to Apple's App Store that distributes software, Testit says, may, quote, push the boundaries of iOS. In particular, it supports Testit's own Nintendo emulator called Delta, which will let anyone with an iPhone or iPad play Super Mario and other classics. Also, it doesn't require you to jailbreak your iOS device. Anyone can download Alt Store right now. Testit released Alt Store earlier today in an early preview form. The full application launches on Saturday, September 28th with Testit's full Delta emulator as one of the available apps within the store. It's already available as an open-source project on GitHub. For now, a version of Delta called Delta Lite is available in the preview that supports NES games. Testit says the full version will support SNES, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, and Nintendo 64 platforms with more to come. And thanks to iOS 13's Sony DualShock 4 and Xbox One support, announced back at WWDC earlier this summer, you can play those games with a standard game console controller or with any MFI-supported gamepad, end quote. But wait, again, how is this even possible? Well, apparently, the trick is to make use of the Apple Developer Enterprise Program, that same program that Apple accused Facebook and Google of taking advantage of earlier this year. As in the case of Facebook and Google, Apple could potentially shut this down at any time, in theory. But quoting Testit on Twitter, So how does it work? TLDR, Alt Store uses your Apple ID to re-sign apps so they can be installed onto your device. To then actually install apps, Alt Store sends apps over Wi-Fi to a desktop app, Alt Server, which uses iTunes Wi-Fi Sync to install them back to your device. Apps installed this way normally expire after seven days unless you're an Apple developer, but Alt Store will automatically refresh them for you in the background whenever it's on the same Wi-Fi as Alt Server, end quote. So yeah, you do have to install this Alt Server on your Mac or PC and plug the device that you want to use into your computer to manually install and sync. There are some non-trivial technical hoops here, but if you do it all properly, the installed software should be indistinguishable from software you might have developed yourself in Xcode, say, to test on your device, say. Quoting The Verge again, In that sense, it works very much like the existing Cydia Impactor tool for installing iOS application files. Yet instead of just letting you install random app files, it installs an entire app store capable of distributing its own secondary software. 
That doesn't mean Apple can't shut it down. It may have some method of doing so, but Testit says he's not sure it would be easy for Apple to do so without also removing the ability for DIY developers, schools, and other organizations that rely on that foundational iOS infrastructure to build test apps and software for internal use. It would be interesting because everything I'm doing, Apple is doing themselves, Testit told The Verge of the project earlier this year when it was still in development. One heavy-handed approach is they could completely shut down the whole service, but that would affect everyone doing this, including schools, anyone just using their free Apple ID on the side, end quote. Shout out to Crunch Labs for sponsoring today's episode. Crunch Labs is a very small team of fun-loving design folks and engineering nerds led by Mark Rober, head engineer and former NASA engineer. You have kids? Just ask them who Mark Rober is. They know. Trust me, YouTube science superstar. Crunch Labs has BuildBox, a STEM subscription build-it-yourself box for kids. My boy Max is a subscriber, and I'm telling you, he rips these boxes open and gets to building right away. This summer, Crunch Labs is hosting Camp Crunch Labs, where kids get 12 build-it-yourself toys with one shipped every week. Plus, access to exclusive Mark Rober videos and weekly challenges that help grow kids' brains all summer long. Camp Crunch Labs has weekly challenges that kids get super excited about and fosters their creative thinking. Last year, more than a million people tuned in each week to watch camp and try their luck at the challenges. Worried about your kids' brains turning to mush over the summer? Sign up to Camp Crunch Labs and turn them into little robot-building mad scientists like Max. Right now, you can purchase a limited Camp Crunch Labs subscription and get two boxes free, a $60 value. Just go to crunchlabs.com ride to sign your kids' up for Camp Crunch Labs today. That's crunchlabs.com slash ride. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. Not only is Bluehost Cloud our fastest web hosting available, but it's also built for WordPress creators by WordPress experts. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Tesla has begun rolling out its software version 10.0. This was the big software update that has long been promised that would start delivering on some of those G-Wiz features like Smart Summon, where your car comes and finds you. This is being called by Tesla the biggest software update ever and includes a raft of other improvements to various car features. Spotify Premium, Netflix, YouTube, and Hulu are coming to the in-car entertainment system. Of course, the video stuff can only be used when the car is in park. And there's that karaoke feature included that has a massive library of music and song lyrics. Lyrics flash across the display in time with the music. And quoting The Verge... As for driving and core vehicle functionality, Tesla has launched Smart Summon and added new functionality beyond the regular Summon feature, which still exists separately. Smart Summon 
exclusive to full self-driving and enhanced autopilot customers, enables a Tesla vehicle to leave a parking space and navigate around obstacles to its owner. The car must be in your line of sight for Smart Summon to work. Video recordings captured when Teslas are in their self-protect sentry mode are now stored in a separate folder from other camera content. A new Joe mode is meant to avoid waking up sleeping passengers by reducing the volume of certain car chimes and alerts. And the new Tesla mobile app can do a few more things and control even more aspects of the car remotely, like the windows. As for when customers can expect it, Tesla says, To receive this update as quickly as possible, make sure your car is connected to Wi-Fi. You'll automatically receive version 10.0 when it's ready for your car based on your location and vehicle configuration. There is no need to request the update, end quote. Time once again for the Weekend Long Reads suggestions. Let's start at New York Magazine, which reminds you those old slacks that you've punched out at work on your Slack channel could come back to haunt you. Here's a specific example of how. I didn't report on this because it was kind of too media, but earlier this week, Vox and New York Magazine announced that they are merging. Also, apparently, they told employees that they will be merging their Slacks. Since Slack is an enterprise product, it actually has functionality built in to merge your Slack operations if two companies or two divisions, say, merge. But be honest. You talk trash about other people that you know are not on your Slack channel all the time, right? So what would happen if someday that manager you hate was merged into your Slack? Yeah, that exact thing was a concern at... New York slash Vox. Members of New York's defunct tech vertical Select All requested that the Select All chat room in Slack be permanently wiped. This is Brian Feldman at New York's Intelligencer vertical, formerly, I guess, of the Select All vertical. Quote, I will not say what was contained within, nor honestly can I even recall specific comments, but there were certainly ungenerous through lines in our insular chat bubble. There were comments aimed at competitors that were legitimate critiques. I'm not too proud to admit that others were remarks born of petty jealousy. Most were probably a bit of both. Some comments were probably extremely funny, incredible, solid gold quips. The thought of those targets coming through our Slack archives is so remote a possibility that it's easy to put it out of mind. What fools we were. No doubt on the other side of the Vox New York Gulf, similar anxieties had presented themselves. One source warned me not to search for my name in Vox's logs. Some interesting stuff in here, deadpanned another employee who searched my name in Vox's Slack and instantly pulled up a tweet of mine that one Vox employee deemed a bad effing take. The poster's name was redacted. I forgive you. I've never written a bad take. They told me they'd had similar discussions about their chat archives, end quote. So food for thought there. Slack caught on because it felt more fun and less formal than, say, email, but ironically, maybe gossiping on email is in the long run safer, kind of. Next, interesting essay from Jay Kreps at the Confluent blog, riffing on Mark Andreessen's famous Software is Eating the World essay. Kreps says it turns out that what that essay really means is not that every company is becoming a software company, it's that every company is becoming software. Full stop. Quote, it isn't just that businesses use more software, but that increasingly a business is defined in software. That is, the core processes 
a business executes from how it produces a product to how it interacts with customers to how it delivers services are increasingly specified, monitored, and executed in software. This is already true of most Silicon Valley tech companies, but it is a transition that is spreading to all kinds of companies regardless of the product or service they provide, end quote. There are too many interesting points made in this piece to summarize here, so please go read it. Its title is Every Company is Becoming Software. Wired has a look at a very serious fundamental crisis in AI development. There is a reproducibility problem. Machine learning systems can increasingly do amazing things, but even when they do, sometimes the researchers who make them do that amazing stuff cannot always understand how they did it. Quote, neural networks, the technique that's given us go-mastering bots and text generators that craft classical Chinese poetry, are often called black boxes because of the mysteries of how they work. Getting them to perform well can be like an art involving subtle tweaks that go unreported in publications. The networks are also growing larger and more complex with huge data sets and massive computing arrays that make replicating and studying these models expensive, if not impossible, for all but the best-funded labs. Is that even research anymore, asks Anna Rogers, a machine learning researcher at the University of Massachusetts. It's not clear if you're demonstrating the superiority of your model or your budget, end quote. We spoke yesterday about Uber's desire to turn its app into a so-called OS for everyday life. Well, also yesterday, The Verge had an interesting sit-down with Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi, where he outlined more of what this means. Quote, we have seen experimentally that public transit data increases engagement with the app, Khosrowshahi says. If more people are opening our app more often, then there will be business down the road. We'll be able to monetize that one way or another. So short term, it probably isn't the greatest kind of business bet. Long term, we absolutely think it's a great bet. Read the whole thing. I think this is the most open I've seen Uber be about their medium to long term strategy. Finally, this one is straight out of left field, but I saw it on Hacker News last night and I love this stuff. If you want like a 20 minute crash course in evolutionary biology, read the piece from LitHub about how and why octopuses are basically aliens living on Earth with us. Quote, Octopuses are the superstars of the invertebrates because of their astonishing intelligence. They're considered mollusks, like clams or snails. Mollusks probably first appeared about 550 million years ago and remained relatively simple, at least in the organization of their nervous systems, for hundreds of millions of years. One branch, the cephalopods, eventually evolved a complex brain and sophisticated behavior and may have reached something close to the modern form of an octopus around 300 million years ago. Octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish are true aliens with respect to us. No other intelligent animal is as far from us on the tree of life. They show us that big-brained smartness is not a one-off event because it evolved independently at least twice, first among the vertebrates and then again among the invertebrates, end quote. That is all for today and for this week. No weekend bonus episodes this weekend. Though I've got a super interesting interview scheduled for next week. Until then, where has September gone? I feel like I blinked and it was over. Talk to you on Monday, the last day of September. September.